Good morning, my friends. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, let's see if we can get some Wayne Dyer. I put the next disc, the next disc. Okay, there we go. There we go. I just saw a wonderful quote by uh, Gandhi who said that uh, when they asked him about Christianity, he said, I love your Christ. He said, but I have such a problem with your Christians. He said, it seems your Christians don't understand or even know their Christ. So this is not about religion for me. To me, a truth is a truth until you organize it. And then it often becomes a lie because the organization becomes more important than the truth that's being organized. But this isn't a put down of anybody's religion or whatever. I, I treasure anything that helps people to live a more fully functioning, self-actualizing, happy life. And if religion does it for you, then go for it. The problem so often on our planet is that most of the killing and the wars and the hatreds and so on are all done in the name of God, which we need to really look at in our own hearts. So this is really a very different kind of presentation that I'll be making this afternoon. Again, I've spoken to you, I was being trained to be a Jungian analyst many years ago, and um, Carl Jung said these words. I saw these in his biography. He said, from the beginning, I had a sense of destiny as though my life was assigned to me by fate and had to be fulfilled. This gave me an inner security and though I could never prove it to myself, it proved itself to me. I did not have this certainty. It had me, it had me. There is something to which we are all connected that we will all return to, that's moving the pieces around. That this idea that who we are is somehow this body that we're in or these things that we have, I carried around for years, Carlos Castaneda's A Separate Reality. And I made it the basis of the book that I wrote, The Power of Intention, which so many of you have. And I carried this with me for a year because I knew I was gonna write a book about intention and this is what we're speaking about here today, that intention isn't something that you do. See, I have been called the father of motivation by people for, I don't know, somebody put that moniker on me, I don't know, 25 years ago. And, uh, and whenever they introduce me, they say, this is the father of motivation. And I always say, I'm, I'm the father of eight children. I don't need to be the father of anything else. That's, that's enough. But, uh, I always say to them that if I were to be the father of anything, it wouldn't be motivation because motivation is an ego thing. Motivation means that when you get a highly motivated person, that's a person who believes that I have within me a vision of what it is that I want to do and no one is going to stop me. Nobody's going to get in my way. I am going to do it and I'm determined and whatever obstacles show up, I'm going to go through them or around them or some way get over them because I'm highly motivated. And that's all ego, which you begin to lose as you gain the kind of consciousness I'm heading towards this afternoon. 
and you begin to realize that there's something that isn't you, that isn't that I, that is moving these pieces around. So I would consider myself, if I'm going to be the father of something else, I would prefer to be called the father of inspiration. And inspiration is the exact reverse of motivation. Whereas motivation is you get a hold of an idea and you take it to its conclusion, stopping with nothing. Inspiration is the reverse. It's when an idea gets a hold of you. And it takes you, like Carl Jung just said, it takes you where you were intended to go from the very beginning, before you even showed up. And connecting to that and recognizing that there is something that we are all connected to something that we can access and use in any way that we want to. I thought, I really want to write about this. <laughs> but I didn't know what to write or how to do it. Power of Intention was written at a time probably of the deepest despair of my adult life. My wife and I had separated. We had seven children and she decided she was going to be with someone else. And she had every right to do so. This was 10 years ago. I thought at the age of 60, you know, I was through with junior high school stuff and breaking up and all of that, but there I was. Hard to get out of bed even in the morning, um, wondering how something like this could show up with young children and teenage children and children in their 20s. And it was, uh, it was a very deep and profound struggle time. That year, 2001, was not just a disaster as it was in New York, it was a disaster in my life as well. And out of that despair and out of that difficulty and out of that struggle came a much more compassionate man. A man who began to find God in a deeper and more profound way than I had ever before. It taught me to be kinder. It taught me to be radically humble. And led me to the Tao and led me to what I'm speaking about here. So that even in moments of deep despair, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a very dear friend of mine. She passed away a few years ago. She was a triplet, lived in Arizona and had a fire and called me one day and said she had a whole bunch of autographed books of mine. They'd all been burned, but I signed new ones for her. And you remember Elizabeth Kubler-Ross as the lady who wrote about death and dying and so on. She said, uh, if you shield the mountain from the windstorms, you'll never see the beauty of the carvings. So that these, these obstacles, these things that show up in our life, what we call hard times, um, really allow us to reveal the beauty of the carvings, the things that we can do in our lives. I've often said that um, every obstacle that shows up in our life, generally every spiritual advance that we're making in our life is preceded by a fall of one kind or another. And it is those falls that allow us to elevate ourselves to a higher place. And I must say, because my wife and I, we're still married, even though we're not together, have uh, even grown closer in these last 10 years. And uh, I've often said to her and said to you and said to my children that uh, true nobility is not about being better than anyone else. It's about being better than you used to be. And that's one thing I can say to you for sure, is that I'm not better than one person here or any place else, but I'm way better than I used to be in almost every criteria that I can think of.
And that's about all you can ask of yourself. And when you go to that place, some great things can come out of you. And The Power of Intention, it's been out for 10 years now. That book has just touched so many people. How many people in this room have been impacted by The Power of Intention, that book? That's almost three-fourths of this audience. And the whole thing was channeled. Just like this talk is being channeled. I don't own these words. And when I sit down to write, and I think I'm going to be writing next month, a whole book about my relationship to my father, the man I never met, the man who abandoned me when I was a baby. I'm calling it my greatest teacher. We're doing a movie about it. Because it was my going to his grave when I was 34 years old and being able to forgive him for all the horrible things that he did to my mother and his three boys and to send him love. And I oftentimes, when I'm up here on stage, feel his presence as well. uh, That act of forgiveness. You know, Mark Twain said it so beautifully. He said, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Can you send love in moments like that? That's a divine teaching, forgiveness, because everything in my life changed after that. I stopped drinking, I stopped doing alcohol, I stopped eating badly, I attracted the right people into my life, my writing turned around, I couldn't sell anything before, and then I I couldn't stop selling after that. Uh, Everything shifted, my health shifted, I started running and exercising, running marathons, Um, whereas before I was overweight and drinking a lot. And I went home after being at his grave in Biloxi, Mississippi. And I was teaching at St. John's University. It was in August. And I flew down to Fort Lauderdale, checked into a motel, and wrote Your Erroneous Zones in 13 days. Cover to cover. Today, there are 55 million copies of it in 47 languages around the world. All happened because of an act of forgiveness. An act that I don't have time to tell you today, but uh, you can read about it and uh, you'll see it when you believe it. And I've talked about it in many different places. So it was in that time of uh, despair that I became more compassionate and kinder. And I also became someone who um, was listening much more than I was talking, getting quieter. And the power of intention, when I look at that book now and I read through it, I think I wouldn't begin to know how to sit down and write that book today and how complete it came out and how many lives I mean there's never a day goes by that at least a dozen or so people don't come up to me someplace and tell me thank you for writing that and I always think I just listened I just let it come that's part of this manifesting process you do not attract in life what you want you attract what you are and that's where we're going And this is what Castaneda said and became the basis of that. He said, in the universe, there is an unmeasurable, indescribable force, which those who live of the source call intention. And that absolutely everything that exists in the entire cosmos is attached to intent by a connecting link. Sorcerers, that is those who live of the source, which we're going to all turn into today. Sorcerers, not magicians, but sorcerers living of the source. Because every one of us came from the same place. 
and we all return to the same place. There's only one source in this universe, and that isn't just my opinion. Quantum physics will tell you all of that, that particles themselves do not originate with particles. It takes energy, invisible divine energy, with no form, no beginning, no end, a birthless, deathless, formless essence that is the source of all. Sorcerers are not only concerned with understanding and explaining this connecting link, and this is really important here, but they are especially concerned with cleansing it of the numbing effects brought about by the concerns of living at ordinary levels of consciousness. When you live at ordinary levels of consciousness and just get along and just fulfill a dharma that someone else has laid out for you, then you get a rusted connection, a link there is between you and intention. But it gets rusted, it gets dirty, it gets corroded. And sorcerers, he says, are not only concerned with understanding and explaining this link that we all have to God, but they are especially concerned with cleansing it of the numbing effects brought about by the concerns of living at ordinary levels of consciousness. And that's what my mission is here in the remaining time that we have, is to do something about this ego of ours. You see, we come into this world from a tiny little drop of human protoplasm, and we enter our mother's womb, and the process is underway, and everything that you needed in that microscopic dot Everything that you need for this entire journey is handled there for you. There's nothing for you to do. The Tao does nothing. The Tao is another word for God or source or spirit or consciousness. The Tao does nothing, but it leaves nothing undone. There's nothing to do. And in those first nine months of your life, everything that you needed for the spiritual journey that you're on was handled for you and taken care of for you. It was all just there. You don't have to interfere. You can't see what it is. In fact, that same thing that was building your bones and creating your eyes and uh, creating everything that is there about you is here right now beating every one of our hearts. None of us are busy beating our own hearts. There's an invisible intelligence that's just digesting our food and growing our fingernails. And for some of us, growing our hair, not all of us. <laughs> And this divine intelligence, this Tao, this invisibleness, this formless divine essence, this healing space that is in each and every one of us, is doing everything. Lao Tzu said, you're not doing anything, you're just being done. Did you ever get the sense of that, that, that you're just being done? If you don't, just look at yourself in the mirror and realize, you know, that hair that's falling out or that's turning gray or you know, the wrinkles that appear that weren't there before, you're just being done. And there's a part of us, all of us, that recognize and know and realize that that's just what's happening. So for the first nine months, you're all just taken care of and you're all handled. And then you're born, you pop out and your parents hold this beautiful little creation that you once were. <laughs> and they say, great work, God, great work. We'll take over from here. <laughs> and then you edge God out. 
E-G-O, you edge God out. And you take on what Muktananda called the false self. A self that believes that you're something other than this divine perfection that you are. And as we take on this false self, we start to realize, and I've written many places about it, I'm not going to go through them all, other than to just summarize them, we begin to believe that who we are isn't this divine essence that is perfect and that is being controlled and taken care of and handled. Instead, we start programming it to believe that who we are is what we have. So we spend a big part of our life accumulating as much stuff, and the more we accumulate, the more we think that we're better than someone else, and this is the ego at work. And then the ego starts to tell us, secondly, that not only are what we have, but we are what we do. So we push people to accomplish more, to go to the right schools, to compete, and so on. And so we start believing that who I am is dependent upon how much I do and how well I do it. We even raise our children from the very beginning to believe that. I come from a place, and my friend Deepak and I have talked this many times, I come from a place that really has a, a strong sense that not only was everything that you needed for the physical journey taken care of in that moment of conception, when you went from formless to form, in the Tao, in the 39th verse of the Tao, it tells us that uh, you know, all being originates in non-being. Jesus said it, you know, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Quantum physics tells us the same thing, that all particles, all physical form originates in energy, in formless energy. We all know that to be true. And I believe very strongly that not only was everything that we needed for the physical journey taken care of for us, but also everything we needed for the rest of the journey as well. I think that everything you were supposed to be was taken care of, just like your height and the shape of your eyes and the color of your hair and, you know, the size of your feet and your fingers and where your nose is and everything about you, which was taken care of in that miraculous thing that none of us can explain. One moment it's formless, the next moment it's form and everything is handled, out comes this thing and the future pull and we, we, there's nothing we can do about it, just watch and be amazed, oh my God, you know, it's just having eight kids, it's just... It's just just watching them develop and what are they going to be and how tall are they going to be? What it's all handled. You have nothing to do with it. You just watch because they're just being done. I think everything that they needed to do for this journey is in there as well. All of their emotional experiences, all of uh, somebody come up to me and said that she has a, a child who has some, uh, you know, some difficulties with the, uh, autism and all of that and what should I do I said just love that little child this is its curriculum to God love it it's your greatest teacher stop trying to fix it <laughs> trying to make it into something else just love that child just love it Khalil Gibran said it so beautifully in the prophet your children are not your children they are the products of life's longing for itself they come through you but not for you Teach only love. You know, don't be trying to fix everybody to make everybody the way everybody else is. E.E. E. Cummings, the great American poet, said to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you just like everybody else means to fight the greatest battle there is to fight and, and never stop fighting. I don't like the word fight, but I mean, that's basically what I was talking about when I mentioned self-actualization. Independent of the good opinion of other people, detached from outcome, just, just allow, just allow. And the most amazing things will happen. 
miracles begin to show up when you get out of the way. But the ego says, no, you are what you have, you are what you do, you are your reputation, that's the third component of the ego, you are what other people think of you. So it's very important we program our children, go out and get as much stuff as you can, beat other people before they beat you, get ahead of you, we're number one, we're all of this kind of stuff. I think that we all have dharma, but when you come in here with big dharma, then you get big obstacles. You go through addictions, I've been through them. You know, you go through, you know, at 60, your wife leaves you. And who could have thought that 10 years ago, you know, what I have been able to do in my 60s. And I just can't even imagine what the 70s are going to bring. But also there's going to be a shitload coming at me as something else as well. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just part of the deal. It's part of the deal. When I was a high jumper on the track team back in high school, you know, I used to run up to the bar and I would run as fast as I could, get down as low as I can, and in the process of getting down as low as I could, I could generate the energy to propel myself to a higher place. But you gotta get down low in order to be able to propel yourself high. That's what it's like. So now when those things come along, and I'm not surprised, leukemia doesn't surprise me at all. It's just part of the deal. How am I gonna teach people to overcome big things if I only get little things? How am I going to do that? To me, it's a gift. I think of it as a wonderful gift. Some of you saw my PBS special on Excuses Be Gone. You saw Dan Caro in there, who was burnt almost to a crisp when he was two years old. And he was with us down in Tampa, giving a uh, concert as a drummer with no hands. I mean, how do you do that? How do you, how do you even explain someone? His book is called The uh, Gift of Fire, Gift. It's a gift to him. The ego is comprised of I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what other people think of me, I am separate from everybody else. This belief in my separation which makes me want to compete and defeat and win over and dominate, which self-actualizers don't do. When you understand and see that you are truly a part of everyone else, and you see that, you begin to think like that, war would be impossible. Hatred would be impossible. Kindness would just take over. It's what the faces of intention are. Fifth component of the ego says that not only am I separate from everyone else, but I'm separate from what's missing in my life. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to end it there because that's the uh, beginning of the next section, and I'll just pick it up on the next episode. But... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff that Dr. Wayne W. Dyer has to say. I agree with him on a lot, a great many things. Most of the stuff that he says. Although, I have a different, a uh, little bit of a different perspective. Because uh, a lot of people look at the ego, like he says, edging God out. But then he says, we are God. So, it's beginning, it's the beginning of realizing something, right? But it's not a cheap thing. It's not a cheap thing that we just call ourselves, oh, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. Uh, it's, uh, you know, 
if we confuse that idea of the false self of the ego because the ego its number one statement is I am I am I am because the ego is your identity it is your temporary identity let's let's look at the ego as like a a temporary ID that you need in order to travel okay it's something that you hold on to for this time it's a a projection of yourself and you have to display it you have to show it to others in order to travel around so it's not necessarily only somebody came up with that as a clever uh way of dis- of uh expressing what the ego is saying edging god out it probably was deepak chopra who came up with that deepak chopra was clever and came up with edging god out but it doesn't really the ego is not is not the ego has nothing to do with uh edging anyone out okay i think deepak chopra what he was trying to say was that you cannot get rid of god the divine the divine manifestation of life that you are that everyone is is god but it's not a cheap thing the ego for example the false self the false idea of the self cannot take on the qualities of the divine cannot take on the qualities of god and so therefore you cannot experience god through any of god's or the divine's myriad of qualities like love and forgiveness and trust and self-control and faith those are all qualities of the divine of our divine life our lives themselves are divinity are god yes but it is not a cheap thing try to understand it's not just as easy as saying i'm god i'm god yeah i'm god but you know what like you have to remember that he also says dr wayne dyer says um we carry around this god particle or this god spark because while we are god and we are one with god like i i i i like saying we are one with god rather than saying we are god we are god because then we become lovers of ourselves
and not lovers of each other. It is important to realize God as something that is beyond you. God is beyond me. It's important to realize God as the other. God is external to me. A lot of people have problems with that. Why do people have problems with that? Because we, our false selves, our false projections of ourselves that we hold on to, block the way. They create a fence between our divinity and our, our truth and our ego, our false ego. This is important because there is an ego that is true, a thousand percent true, more than we could, more true than anything we can imagine. The real ego cannot be overcome, cannot be conquered, cannot be destroyed. It cannot be anything but the truth, the absolute truth. The false ego is the temporary ID. So we're walking around, traveling around with this temporary ID saying, oh, okay, I am a farmer. I am a motivational speaker. I am a doctor. I am a lawyer. I am a president. I am a telecommunications agent. I am a computer um, repair person. I am a male person. You know, all of these occupations, we identify ourselves with what we do. Okay, and so therefore we go around introducing ourselves according to what we do, right? Even according to, even even the Buddha, when he came out of his samadhi, when he came out of his his state of meditation, his deep state of meditation, the first person he saw. He said to them, I am the awakened one. And that person started laughing, hysterically laughing. Ha! <laughs> and just walked away laughing at the Buddha. Because the very first thing that he said is, I am the awakened one. I am the Buddha. He said, I am the Buddha. And while that was not a lie, it was a statement of the ego. And so we see the very first thing 
the Buddha had to do, the awakened one had to do, was to recognize the self, the temporary ID that he would have as he went through the world, as he interacted with others. But this was only after he had an, an immensely profound experience with being one with everything. He realized the fullness of his oneness with everything. So therefore, in his samadhi, he realized the fullness of what it means to be one with God, what it means to be divine, what it means to be God. But that was no cheap thing. He went through heaven and hell in order to find that spark of divinity within himself. And so therefore... It was at a whole other self-realization, a whole other clarity that he said, I am the Buddha. I am the awakened one. And it brought a person to tears of laughter upon hearing the Buddha say, I am the Buddha. So we have these temporary IDs. I'm going to break it down in three three or four sections. Check this out. Check this out. Our false ego is not our temporary ID. Our false ego is that which we grasp onto and do not want to let go of. Anything that we grasp onto and we do not want to let go of. All of our attachments that we do not want to let go of. These are the things that we have not forgiven. We have not forgiven. Dr. Wayne Dyer is talking about forgiveness. It is a godly thing, but we can only have the power to forgive if we ask God for it. Otherwise, we are stuck being our false ego, our false self. It seems that it's not fair that we have to pray and ask God, an external God, a God that is uh, someone else. Because I don't agree with Dr. Wayne Dyer in this aspect, that the other is, is somehow taboo, that the other is somehow... Uh, a problem. No, that's not the problem. Because 
We can have friendly competition. We can have sport. We can have, um, according to our nature, we have to have friendly competition. We have to have, we have to have a competitive aspect of our nature. And this is not something that we need to get rid of. No. As, uh, au contraire, mon frere. <laughs> au contra- to the contrary, my friend. To the contrary. We can have healthy competition. Competition is good. If it wasn't for competition, or if it wasn't for fighting the good fight. I love that word fight, as a matter of fact. Dr. Wayne Dyer, at this point in time, did not like the the word fight because he thought it had to do with violence. But violence is not evil. Violence does not have to be unjust. Violence does not have to be evil. Okay, first, okay. It seems that it is unfair that we get stuck being our false selves. But this is due to our sin, our sinful nature. That's another word that people do not like. I'm not a sinner. I don't sin. Well, a sin, if you understand the word, means mistake. A miss, take. You missed. You missed the point. You missed the the way to be your best self. It was a mistake. That's what a sin is. So if you claim to be someone who does not never makes mistakes, again, I I I I could warn you and say. You're misrepresenting the idea of God, really. The idea of the divine. Because this is, the divine is something that we get to know forever. It's not something that we just get to know and say, oh yeah, I'm divine. I'm God. Oh, so easily. If you want to say and that you are the Buddha... Look at what the Buddha had to go through in order to be able to say it. And the first person he said it to when he actually realized it laughed, laughed at him. Laughed at him, at his realization. But the rest of the story goes, no, he didn't let it stop him. He realized, he realized it so profoundly that he really truly lived it. And he really truly lived it. It wasn't part of his false self. Okay? So now the false self is all those things that we do not forgive because we are attached to it. No matter what our attachment is, that is the false self. Everything is identity. So everything we attach ourselves to are therefore necessarily part of our identity. And we do not want to let go of it. And we, if, we, if we obtain 
the ability to forgive by divine grace. Suddenly, this grace awakens within you to have the ability to forgive, as Dr. Wayne Dyer was saying. And all of that was from one act of forgiveness. All of his his rewards and his achievements and accomplishments came about from one act of forgiveness. And he realized the profound power, the profound, uh, the depth of profundity in the ability to forgive. So forgiveness is the way to dissolving, dissolving the false ego. Because all you have to do is let go of all those things you attach yourself to. Okay? The false ego is all those attachments. So, once you dissolve them through forgiveness, with the power of forgiveness, you realize that they are a mirage. They are an illusion. And you are not holding on to anything. And therefore you realize the truth. And the truth sets you free from the false ego. Okay, now. The temporary ego. The temporary ID. It is those things that we identify with. And we wear a mask in order to masquerade in our lives. Such as, I am this body. I am this mind. I am uh, a professor. I am a podcaster. I am an influencer. I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that, I am this. Okay? False ego is unconscious. It, it 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 exists and it exists until you make yourself conscious of it. Temporary ego is conscious that which we identify with consciously. We tell ourselves, "I am this. I am that. I am that. I'm a man. I am a woman. I am a a, a white person. I am a." you know, a black person or whatever, you know, you, you, you tell yourself this, that you are this, you are that, you are this, you are that I am this, I am that I am this. So, so, so this is a temporary ego. It is like saying at one time I said, I am 27 years old. All of those things may have been true. They were not lies. They are not necessarily things that you have to let go of. You don't really have to set yourself free from them. It's just a temporary ID in order to travel around, in order to socialize, in order to interact. Just like when the Buddha said, I am the Buddha. So at one point I said, I am 27 years old, and it was true for that year. And after that year, 
I was 28, and now I am 42 years old, and 42 years old only is good up until I'm 43, and then I'll be 43 years old. So it's just changing. The temporary ID constantly changes. It constantly changes. It's it's always going to be that I am always, once and for all, have had been 42 and I have had been 41, 40, 39, 38, 36, 37, 36, and all the years preceding 42. Okay? So, um, that doesn't change. But what does change is what I, I, what I present as my temporary ID. It's like I have to renew it all the time. Like a passport. Like a passport. You have to renew it every so often. Okay? That's the temporary ID. That is not the false ego. That is just a temporary ego. Okay? So now you have the actual ego. And the actual ego is the manager between the id, between your wild, natural self, your primitive, primordial, reptilian self, your reptilian brain self, your your brainstem wants to do all the things automatically according to your body, impulses, um, <clears throat> you want to eat, you want to have sex, you want to sleep, all those things are the id. And the ego is the manager between the wild id and the super ego. And the super ego is everything that your parents have taught you to be and everything that society has taught you to be, everything that you have learned from your parents and from society. And your super ego is all the rules that you live by the code of ethics, the code of being, the way to live and act in society. And the id is the opposite. The id is just your primitive, uh, primal, uh, natural instincts. And the ego is the manager between those two things, between how your parents have raised you and what your natural self wants to do. Okay, that is the ego. So now we have the true ego. And that which is true is eternal. So we have the eternal ego. The eternal self. That can be called the eternal Tao. It could be the, it could be called the eternal divinity. It could be called the eternal God. It could be called the eternal source. It could be called the eternal self. Okay? Now that is eternally true. That is the true ego. In Sanskrit, it is called Ishvara. Ishvara. Ishvara is the eternal self.
And the three qualities of the eternal self are Sat, Chit, Ananda. Ananda is this blissfulness beyond imagination. It's a, a love, this blissful love, affection, devotion, blissfulness, joy, unfathomable joy, incomprehensible joy, unimaginable joy, just just ridiculous love to the point of just like complete blissfulness, ecstatic blissfulness, beyond orgasmic, beyond, beyond, beyond. That's Ananda. That's one of the qualities of the divine, of God. The second quality is Chit. Chit. Okay? Chit means awareness, consciousness. Life itself, Chit is life itself. The consciousness, the intelligence, the consciousness, the awareness of all things, the intelligence that is within all things. I'm now looking at a table. The table has an intelligence because it stays as a table. The particles unite together in a wave of energy in order to make a solid structure that we call a table. That is chit. Chit is that which which is the intelligence in all things that cannot be changed. It does not change. The intelligence in all things does not change. Although I may break this table and burn it, it's a wooden table, and it would change in its form, in its state. The state may change. The state of the table may go from, if I burn it, may go from a solid and a, a, a form structure. It may go to a gas. It may turn to smoke. And it may turn to ashes. And the ashes will get dissolved into the earth. So the state may change. But the actual intelligence does not change. The intelligence behind the table and its wooden um, nature does not change. Because within its nature, it has the ability to get burned up and turned to ashes. That is a latent and inherent, an inherent, latent, um, an inherent, latent quality of the wood. 
that the table is made from. Okay? So that is chit. It's beyond human awareness. It is not limited to human awareness. But it does include human awareness. And there is such a thing as awareness or consciousness that is beyond human. Okay? Okay, so now the last quality, the other the it's not the last quality. These are only three qualities that I'm talking about right now. That there are qualities of God that we can share. Because this is the true ego that we, we remember, we're talking about the true ego. We have our ego, which is the human ego, which is the manager between the id and the superego. And the true ego on the other side of the spectrum. And we want to go toward the true ego. Okay. Sat, chit, ananda. Sat means that which remains. That which remains after all is destroyed. That which is eternally true. That which is eternally true. That which is eternally true is a constant and remains after everything changes. It is the basis for all change. It is the absolute truth. And therefore, it is the absolute Tao. It is the way when Jesus Christ declared that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he was saying, I am Sat Chit Ananda. He was saying, I am the way. The way is sat and chit. Okay? I am the way, the truth. The truth is sat. Okay? The truth is sat. The way is chit. The awareness. The intelligence. And the life is ananda. Okay? The way is love, really. So the way could be Ananda. The life could be the Chit. And the truth could be the Sat. They're all interchangeable, actually. Because they're all one. Okay? It's like the Tao or the Taiji. The Taiji symbol is the yin and yang. The black with the white dot and the white with the black dot circling around each other. <clears throat> they say that they are mutually consuming. That they are mutually dependent, interdependent. And that they are opposites. 
Those are the qualities of the yin and yang. So, the qualities of the Sat Chit Ananda are the same. That which is eternally true is Chit Ananda. That which is uh, the intelligence behind all things is the truth and love. That which is the, the greatest love, the purest love and joy is the truth and the life and the way. You see, Sat Chit Ananda. Those are three qualities that we have to share in order to be one with the true ego, the true self. Okay? So that's what Dr. Wayne Dyer, I believe, is trying to get us toward. Because he's saying, you know, we are God. He's such a gentle man. He's saying, we are God. We don't need to fight with each other. We don't need to hurt each other. We don't need to argue. We can get along because we are God. We don't have to we don't have to have this misidentity. We don't have to have this this false sense of self. But you know the I know Dr. Wayne Dyer's intentions are great, but at the same time We all have to go through what we have to go through. And so the false ego is going to pollute us and make us unclean until we let go, until we learn how to forgive, until we learn how to let go. And the temporary ego may distract us until we learn how to have faith until we learn how to pray until we learn how to meditate until we learn how to 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 be our own ego and allow ourselves to be our ego the ego that manages the way that we have been taught to be and our natural desires <clears throat> and until we decide to become our true ego, we will be struggling with our sin. We will be struggling with our sinful nature, our ability to make mistakes. Okay, I've spoken enough this morning, <clears throat> and thank you for listening. And I'm sorry, uh, my throat has become very dry, so... I'm sorry if I sound hoarse. <laughs> God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Peace be with you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. And a wonderful week ahead of you. God bless. Goodbye.